0: a Bible, there are Bibles around um, in the chairs in front of you. They're free. Anybody would like to take them home, you can take them home with you. But uh, this reading is from the Gospel of Luke. It's going to help illustrate the message for today. This is in the last hours of Jesus' life, starting in verse 54, and it should come up on the screen for you as well. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter, Note, was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. After an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with them, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. Prior to this moment in time, Peter walked closely with Jesus. For three and a half years, Peter and eleven other guys were pretty tight with Jesus. And at some times, you'll see Peter as one of three in this inner circle with Jesus. But now, where is Peter when Jesus is at his darkest hour? Where is Peter when Jesus is at his darkest hour? He is hiding in the crowd. He's pretending to not know Jesus. But 24 hours ago or less... He looked Jesus right in the eye and he said, I will never turn my back on you, Jesus. But fear overcame him. Let's pray. Father, today we come to your word and we see, we see something that we don't like. Because sometimes when we look in the mirror, we see what Peter did. We see a rejection of you. Uh, a disassociation with you because of something else that's going on in our life. We see that fear was greater than Peter's faith in that moment. And Father, we don't want that to be the case for us. We don't want to be hiding in the crowd. We want to be bold in our faith. And Father, today will you teach us how to do that? Will you teach us your truth today? In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever found yourself hiding in the crowd like Peter, not willing to be all in for Jesus? Or maybe you've struggled with something that I call agape phobia. Agape phobia is the fear of loving Christians. It's not really a term, but it could be. All right? I mean, all I did was take the word agape, which is a Greek word, a Greek word which means to love, and um, put it with phobia, which means fear. But the love that we see in agape, it's a special kind of love that we see in the Bible a lot. It's the, it's the um, act of love. It's not a feeling of love. We find that today a lot with young people. Well, with all people, but especially with young people, they say they're in love and they've known the person a week, you know. Really, you're in love. Um, But love, agape love, was demonstrated by Jesus over and over and over again, especially when he washed his disciples' dirty, stanky feet. Um, That's love, right? I mean, that's what the servants were supposed to do. But the agape love is best expressed when Jesus was compelled to die on the cross for you and me. That's really agape love, and that's actually the kind of love that Jesus calls all of us Christians to love one another with. And if you don't believe me, I have proof, John 13. John 13, Jesus gave a new commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love, and the word is agape, you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another why he says by this all people will know you are my disciples you are my followers if you have love for one another and the new testament is filled with commands to love one another just like Christ loved us but here's my question how can you love one another in this way if you're hiding in the crowd how can you love like Jesus without belonging to his church? That's the question for the day. How do you love one another without belonging to his church? Title this morning, Why Join His Church? Notice I'm not saying, why join this church? Because I'm starting with the premise of, we should join his church. Why join His church? Then I'll get into why you might want to join Life of Purpose Church. Why join His church? Step one in our class, Walk with God, or, or, or what I talked about last week, the gospel in your walk with God, that's embracing the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that we have forgiveness in Christ, and that, that, that Christ died for us, and we talked about that, I talked about that last week. And and the class is coming up in uh, next month in November. And then step two is today, uh, God's church, why we should embrace His church, why we should join His church. But let's talk about why they, we don't. Why do some Christians prefer to hang out in the crowd? Why is it that some Christians just prefer to be in the crowd? Number one reason, I think, is they don't trust the church. And... For lots of good reasons, the church has proved in many ways that it can't be trusted. People get burned in the church. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. I already know hands will go up. But if you've ever been burned in the church, you've ever been hurt by a church member before, you heard horror stories about a church. I mean, it's reality. But here's, here's also a reality. The other day I ate some bad food. I got sick. But I'm not giving up on food. A few months ago, I got hurt while I was exercising, but I am going to keep exercising because I want to be healthy. No church is perfect. Amen? Yeah. I mean, the running joke amongst pastors when pastors get together, we say, you know, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. I never make that joke about you guys. I just want you to know that, all right? I love you guys, you're not hard to love. I'm not saying that because next month is Pastor Appreciation Month either, okay? <laughs> I really love you guys, and I desperately want to see you love one another. But to do that, I believe you have to join his church. If you want to really love one another, you want to put your faith into action, like Jeff read, you've got to join his church. You've got to belong to a local church. Will you get a bad taste in your mouth every once in a while? Yep. Yep. You're going to get hurt sometimes. Yep. But should you give up? No. No. You shouldn't. Because he doesn't give up on you. Think about that. Another big reason why people stay in the crowd instead of joining the church is due to our culture. We have a problem with our culture that says, you don't need to commit to anything. Everything is month to month. Am am I right on that one? I mean... You don't want to join the gym? That's okay. Month to month. You don't have to commit for a year. You want to stream our services? Month to month. Cancel anytime. I mean, our culture enables this. People will pay more per month so they don't have to commit for a year. I'm guilty of that. Anybody else? Yeah. I even saw some fast food places will pay their employees daily. Because apparently they don't trust them to work the whole week. So here I am asking you to commit to the church forever. What am I thinking? I mean, why would I ask you to do that? Because Jesus taught that. Because Jesus is asking you to make a lifelong commitment to his church. If you follow him, You belong to his church, you know, the one he died for. In the Bible, it refers to the church as the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is his bride. Married men, what if I said to you, hey, listen, I like hanging out with you, but I don't like your wife. That would be pretty rude, wouldn't it? You know, if your wife's around, I might hang out for an hour or so, but, you know, I'm out after that. I wonder if God looks at our devotion to him and sees people who go to church on Sunday for an hour show up late, leave early, so they don't interact with his bride as something similar to what I'm suggesting here. We love his bride. And I'm not trying to beat you up. Don't get me uh, mistaken. That's not what I do. I, I don't. Uh, condemn anyone. If you feel condemned, if you feel guilty, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not my fault. All right, take that up with God. Um, I get it if you are new at this church or any church and you are being cautious. I get that. If you're feeling like, I just want to make sure it's safe here. I want this to be a safe place. I want to make sure that this is, you know, biblical and all of that. I understand that. But don't stay in the crowd indefinitely that's not God's plan for you. It's not. So, to encourage you, I want to share with you some benefits of moving from that crowd to the congregation. And really, that's the best word for church. Um, along the way, uh, throughout church history, the word became church. It's a German word, Kirche, and it's really the worst word because it, it resembles a building. The church was a building for a long time in church history, and that's not what the church is. The church is a gathering of his people. When you really look at the Greek word, it's ecclesia, it means a gathering of God's people. So when we gather together, it was great when our church met in a school, when we rented space, because I could teach that real easily. You know, it's like, listen, the church isn't a building, we don't have one. <laughs> you know, we're a gathering of his people people, that's the ecclesia, that's the church, and we come together, and when we come together we have some great benefits. Would you like to know what those benefits are? Fabulous, I was going to tell you anyway. (laughs) Ephesians 2, they all come from scripture, Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says to them, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints, and here's the part I underlined, you're members of the household of God. Your family. It's built on the foundation of those apostles and prophets. And of course, Christ Jesus is the cornerstone in that building. The whole structure joined together grows into a holy temple. We're little stones built on Christ, the cornerstone. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. I love thinking of the church as a family just like scripture teaches us here. It's a family. And some of us, we're closer to our church family than we are to our real family. We had a Meet the Leaders a meeting this morning, and Christy was sharing this exact thing. Because of the Holy Spirit, we are often closer to church family than regular family. Maybe this has happened to you, maybe it hasn't. I've seen it before, though. You ever share a problem with a family member, a blood uh, family member, that isn't a Christian and it didn't work out so well. Like, you got criticized, you got judged, you got, I told you so. You got no comfort whatsoever from family that's supposed to bring you comfort. But in in the same scenario where you share your problem instead with a church family member, a brother or sister in Christ, you could get a totally different kind of response. You could get great comfort because they say that uh, I'm going to pray for you. And they listen to you. They really listen to you without judging you. And then they follow up with you and encourage you and speak the truth in love. Has that ever happened to you before from a, from a Christian brother or sister or family? That's what I'm talking about. That's what brings us closer together. That's, that's why family in the church um, is so important. Because when we feel safe, we can be Vulnerable. When you belong to his church, you should regularly experience this thing that I'm talking about. It's the word fellowship, and it's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. At the end of every message, since I've been preaching in this church for a long time, since 2006, so you can do the math for that one. But every message I finish with this benediction, I say, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you as you go. I'm using that. I chose that because it talks about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit fellowship is a Greek word, koinonia, and it means that you bear one another's burdens. You love one another deeply. And that, to me, is the greatest benefit of belonging to his church is that we have genuine relationships. Like, how many relationships do you have? You can bring that up on the screen. We have genuine relationships. How many relationships do you have out in this world, you know, especially with social media, it's so easy, to have shallow relationships? You know, you, you run into a neighbor and, and you talk about the lions or you know, the tigers or the bears or whatever, and, and, and you never really go deep. And I get it. It's not going to happen over the fence, probably. But what kind of relationships do you have that are deep, where you can be somewhat vulnerable, and you can share a little bit about what's going on in your life, and you can say, hey, man, I'm going to pray for you and mean it and do it. We have genuine relationships in the church. That's what the benefit of the church is. His church. Next benefit is really seen in, in our purpose statement. We have a purpose statement. You know, businesses have mission statements, vision statements. We have a purpose statement. Um, and that mirrors three relationships that everybody has. Your upward relationship with God, your inward relationship with yourself, and then your outward relationship with others. So our simple, simple purpose statement, so simple you could memorize it. We are here to help you get closer to God, understand the Bible, and love one another. Sound familiar, right? I mean, it's coming from the Bible. In fact, it's coming from the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, which is what Jesus said, love God, love others, go and make disciples. It's the same thing. I just worded it a little differently. We're here to help you get closer to God, love God, understand the Bible, which really helps you love yourself, and understand yourself, and renew your mind, and be transformed, and then love one another. So that's all for his glory. This is what it says in Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul writing, he was in prison for his faith, writing to the church, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, and here's the part that I want you to focus on, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, when a church is eager to maintain the unity in the Spirit, great things happen. We all live a life of purpose, just as our name tells us, a life of purpose. We come together as one for His glory. And that's why you would want to join His church. Because it's not a bunch of Christians doing whatever they want to do. It's all of us coming together for one purpose, His glory. Unity. We have that. We're not a bunch of body parts scattered around, dismembered. We are a member of a body. One body. One spirit. One church. Our call is to one Lord, one faith one baptism, and one God and Father of all. So the benefit number two is that we have one purpose. We have one purpose. In fact, all churches should have the same purpose, this purpose, to come together for his glory. And the third benefit has to do with leadership. Leadership. You've already seen today that this, this church, our, his church, God's church, is described as a family. It's described as a bride, the bride of Christ, and the body of Christ. Therefore, it's living, it's breathing, it's organic. That's the main focus of the church, the ecclesia. But the other part of the church that a lot of people don't like to be a part of is the organization part, the organization. Because the church is an organization. And with every organization, that requires leadership. Raise your hand if you ever had a terrible coach, teacher, boss, principal before. All right, put them down. Raise your hand if you ever had a great teacher, coach, boss, or principal. Good. You know the difference. You know the difference between a good leader and a bad leader, don't you? From experience. We all have learned that from experience. So when we go to a church and we realize, hey, this church has organization. It has leadership. We want good leadership. We want godly leadership. And who is supposed to lead the local church? And I know some of you are looking like, well, you are, aren't you? You're, you're the guy on the stage. You know, you're the senior pastor. I don't like that, by the way. I'm the lead. Don't, I'm not a no. I'm 50, but, you know. But here's the truth. I don't lead the church. He leads the church. It's his church. That's why I purposely say it that way. It's his church. We are the body. He's in charge. But you say, well, wait a minute. Okay, I get it. But how is that possible if he's in heaven? How is it possible for Jesus to lead the church if he's in heaven? Well, he gave us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. And all throughout the New Testament, we see that churches are led by the Spirit. They're started by the Spirit. God moves in a person to start a church. This church started in 2005. And here we are today. But it was started because the Holy Spirit led men and women to start this church. And everywhere you look in the New Testament, churches are led by, should be led by, and elders, I'll say it plural, Elders. Another term is overseers. Another term is is bishops. Now, those are all synonymous. They're all the same terms elders, overseers, bishops. So we use the term elder here. But now you say, well, wait a minute, what's a pastor then? Well, because the word pastor is really kind of the term that's used often for the leader in the church, we now use that term synonymously. But just so you know, a pastor is really a responsibility of an elder. The elder pastors the church. It's the word for shepherd. He shepherds the church. It's a, it's a duty of an elder. And elder, elders, other elders are good at other things, like finances or teaching. Some elders are just preachers. Some elders, so they do different things. But for our sake, I just say a pastor is an elder, an elders a pastor. We'll leave it at that for now not to confuse. But Paul told Timothy... Paul, a very experienced shepherd, pastor, elder, he told Timothy, who was a young elder, a young pastor, he said, the one who's called by God to be an elder and accepts that call desires a noble task. And I'd love to break down that word noble, but just to tell you the reason why he says it that way is because some sheep bite, some wander, and some like to ignore the shepherd's voice. Not not you guys. I I always just say, you know, some. So it's a noble task to be a leader in a church, an elder. It's a challenging task at times, but it's also very rewarding. My favorite text about elders is found in 1 Peter. Peter writes this in chapter 5. I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd... Pastor, the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And don't do it for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Because when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what's the key for elders to lead his church? Humility. What's the key for church members? Humility. That's what Paul is saying. We are to be humble when we lead. And the other truth that we see in the New Testament about church leadership is that, as I said, it's not singular. It's plural. Paul would go around the Mediterranean Sea, start churches, and put plural, multiple elders in charge. There's a reason for that. They also had multiple deacons. Deacons serve the people. So here's what I'm telling you. A biblically healthy church leadership... Consists of multiple elders and multiple deacons called by God to lead and serve with all humility. And besides myself as an elder, we have Joe Wisick, who's here. He's another elder. He's been with Life of Purpose since it began, and we eagerly await for God to call other elders. Now is not the time to look around, men. <laughs> look in the mirror. Is God calling you to be an elder? We can talk. We also have a deacon, Justin Slack, calling to call to serve you. And we're waiting for God to call more deacons. And if you want to know what does it mean to be an elder, to be a deacon, there's qualifications. That's where I sit down and, and we talk and, and we go through it together. You know, it's common in American churches to see, to see leadership, to have leadership like a democracy. Because we're in a democracy or a republic. The Bible does not teach this. The Bible does not teach that the church is a democracy. Church decisions should be made by elders who pray diligently, seek His Word, and follow the Spirit's leading. And those decisions are then affirmed by the church, you all, or y'all, we're down south, who pray diligently, seek His Word, and listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you want to see a wonderful, perfect example of this, look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, and you'll see it. Peter said, we do all this with great humility, and when the church gets this right, when the local church gets this right, it's amazing. We all get along, and we make pretty darn good decisions. I know, it's a shocker, but it's all in humility. It's when men and women have their own agendas that churches split and get in trouble and make bad decisions. So, life of purpose led by elders for the glory of God. And that's a benefit to all of us, and it's a great comfort to you, I hope. Benefit number three, we have biblical leadership, the way it's done in the Word. So three great benefits. There's many more, but those are the three that I felt led to talk to you about today. And uh, no matter what church you belong to, you should look for these things. You should get this out of the church that you belong to. You should have that that biblical leadership. You should have one purpose, and you should have genuine relationships. But I will tell you this. Those things, I believe, come out of one focus, and that focus would be on his word, teaching his word. Paul told Timothy that the pillar of the church, the thing that holds up the roof, the foundation is sound doctrine, solid Bible teaching, if you don't teach the Bible, all of it, and as I do verse by verse, your church is going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart. Scott uh, is a great Bible teacher here. He told me a long time ago before um, they came to Life Purpose, they had gone to another church, and he immediately recognized, this is not going to last, because the Bible was not the central focus. It was programmed. We're going to have a program for this, and a program for that, and a program for that. You've got to teach the Word of God. Everything else, everything hinges upon that. Now, if you choose Life of Purpose to be your church home, or if this already is and you've been coming for a while, I want to remind you of some expectations that we have and some expectations you can have for us. All of them we talk about in Step 2, the class, coming in October, November. If you want to sign up for that, you can. Hit our compass page. You heard us talking about the compass page. It's on our website. Um, Go there. You can sign up, step one or step two. But expectation number one, you won't be surprised by these, I hope. Expectation number one, grow up (laughs) spiritually. Babies don't stay babies, do they? They grow up. They develop. They mature. Well, most (laughs) people mature. You shouldn't be a Christian baby your whole life. Grow up, develop, mature. That's an expectation. It happens one step at a time. Next week, we're going to talk about that. How do you grow in your faith? Some things that you can do, be intentional about. In return, we're going to help you. We're going to support you. I, as I said, teach the Bible on Sunday mornings. On Wednesday, we're going through the book of Revelation right now. It's awesome. It's fascinating. I'm spending a ton of time preparing for that. I told them more time than I do for Sunday, so it's deep, it's fun, um, but we're getting into it. Our children and our youth, we believe, are so important that we have really top-notch teaching for them on Sundays. Wednesday, we, you can bring your, your children as well, but we want to help you parents walk alongside your children and help them grow in their faith and develop, because we know. Like, my kids are 15 and 18 now, and I know the battles that they're facing in the high school. I know what they faced in the middle school. And I am just, it's so important that we help you and give you resources. So you can expect that from us. Expectation number two, serve using your gifts. You have time, you have talents, you have treasures, you have gifts. Peter said, as each one of you has received a special gift from the Spirit, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. You ever got a gift before that you just left in the box? Or maybe just it's hanging in your closet right now? It's kind of a shame, isn't it, right? When, when you don't use a gift. Some of you are feeling guilty right now. You're looking. But God has given you a gift not so it sits in the closet or in a box. God has given you a gift, each one of us, to build up his church. So use your gift to build up his church. We expect you to do that. In return, as leaders, we will help you. We will equip you, as it says in Ephesians 4. Because we, leaders, equip you to do the work of the ministry. We equip you. So we'll do that. Jesus had the easiest method for equipping. He said, Hey, watch me, guys. While I do this. And they watched. And then he said, Okay, guys, let's do this together. And they did it together. And then he said, All right, guys, you go ahead, I'll watch you. And he did. And look at 12 disciples, 2.6 billion Christians today. Amazing. So that's our method for discipleship. And we'll help you, we'll support you. Expectation number three share your story, your faith story. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be ready, in season, out of season. Always be ready to share your story. But also, be intentional. You have relationships going on right now, and if you see someone that's seeking God, you think, wow, God's doing something in their life. Invite them to coffee or something, and then share your story. Because your story is part of his story for his glory. And it's so rewarding when you share your story and you hear someone else's story, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. And we need to do that because, as I told you, I have this vision that we share our story with St. Clair Shores, with this whole community. And that's how I believe people are going to come to Christ as we share our story. Because when we share our story and we share his story, that's the gospel, people get saved. People turn to Christ. People's eyes are opened. So... You need help sharing your story? You're a little nervous? That's what we do. That's what you can expect from us. We'll help you. I have a great resource to help you do that. Um, we have, offer training. We have a discipleship conference coming in this fall. In fact, some of us are being trained right now to offer free biblical counseling here. There's a church in Roseville that we're partnering with and they're training us to do this. They have 22 counselors that volunteer their time every week to provide free biblical counseling. We want to do that here. So we're, we're, we're training we're training us up to do that. So that's an expectation. Fourth expectation, support life of purpose financially and prayerfully. I wrote a series of devotionals on what Jesus said about money. I think it's very interesting. You can, you can uh, text the word money to our number, follow the link, and sign up for it. Um, but what Jesus taught us is so important because many people don't have a very healthy relationship with money at all. I mean, let's be honest. Some of us see money in ways that are not healthy. And money often divides people. How many times, I can't tell you how many times I've done a funeral for um, someone, and what I hear is family dividing. At the funeral, after the funeral, what are they divided about? Who gets the money? It's unhealthy because we don't see money the way God wants us to see money and we don't manage our money the way God wants us to unless we know what Jesus says about money. And so when you um, get that and you, and you look at that, you realize that, okay, God wants us to manage. All we have is from him. He wants us to give a tithe to his church. Tithe is 10% of what you make. That's, that's what a tithe is, 10%. And on top of that, support missionaries, food banks, charities. That's your offering over and above. That's what God's word teaches us. And by the way, he says it's better to give than it is to receive. So we should, um, that's, that's an expectation. And along with that, we pray for one another. Um, we have a wonderful prayer team you can join, you can be a part of. But we pray for our leaders, we pray for one another, we pray for our impact in our community, and we pray God is glorified. In return, we have a great administrative team. They, they count every penny, everything is accounted for. We're very transparent Um, all members can um, speak into the budget that we make every single year, which is coming up in the fall. And then, of course, we all vote on it, affirm it together, because we're in this together. And so you can expect that from us. You can expect us to be praying for you. That's the fourth expectation. The fifth one, protect. Protect our unity. This is so big. How do you protect a church's unity? Because the worst thing that happens in the church is division. It's terrible. If you've ever been through a church split, it's terrible. It really takes work to avoid this, to maintain unity. So we expect you to work at that. And what I mean is, is because the one, number one thing that starts the vision is gossip. So you have to work at it, because some of us like gossip. <laughs> we do. We like to hear what's going on, and then we like to tell others what we heard is going on. You ever play that game where you whisper into someone's ear something, a sentence? You did this in elementary school probably, and then that person whispers, and it gets to the end, and what do you, it doesn't sound at all like the beginning. So, don't listen to second and third hand information. Go to the source. If someone says to you, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? Can you believe that happened? That's gossip. Don't do it. Get out of it. That's the beginning of division. The devil wants us, or wants that. He loves it when we get divided. God says, go to the source. Go to the source. That's what Jesus taught when he taught church discipline in Matthew 18. He said, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Jesus didn't say, oh, you should definitely tell the other brother in the church and then the other brother. and Tell him what they did to you. No, he says go to the source, tell them what what happened, and figure this thing out. And if they don't listen to you, he goes on to tell them that there's a process. A church discipline, there's a process. You then go get the elders in the church, two or three, and then you go to him. Say, listen, this is what you did. Repent. Forgiveness. It's all about restoring relationships. That's the whole purpose of it. So you have to work at this. We have to work at this together. And in return, you can expect that we will carry out church discipline, just like it says in Matthew 18, with the whole goal of restoring relationships and not dividing them. We want to bring everybody together. So if you hear something like, can you believe that that happened? Can you believe he did that or she did that? don't, don't start spread. Go to the source. And if you're not comfortable, come to an elder. Because I'll go to the source. But you've got to understand, they're probably going to know it's coming from you. (laughs) But we can go together. I mean, we're going to go to the source and we're going to figure this out. You can expect that. Last one. Make a lifelong commitment. Don't think of joining the church as one more thing you've got to cram into your week. Because if that's your attitude, then you'll give up on church like a New Year's resolution. No. Think of church as following Jesus. It's a way of life. It's your lifestyle. What do you do on Sundays? I worship God with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them. That's what I do on Sundays. Hey, what do you do the rest of the week? The same thing. It's all week long. It's not just on Sundays. So we expect you to commit so we can count on you. Counting on people is important. Amen, Chrissy? She's out there. <laughs> But in return, you can count on us. And we have a statement, I think is in your program, which is what was drawn up in the very beginning of this church. It's the Life of Purpose Christian Church commitment to one another. It's all biblical. It all comes from the Word. You can take that home and you can look that over, but it's, it's just, just expectations that we have for one another. And I like to look through that sometimes and, and see just kind of like how we're doing. You know, how's the church doing? And, um, and how am I doing? You know, am I doing this? You know, because we can do a lot of things. But I'd really like to do a few things really, really well. And the things that I want to do well are the ones that glorify God. Amen? Yeah. So be, be thinking about it. Be, be in prayer about this. Think about um, joining me in step uh, two class and in the step one class as well. Um, why would you join his church? Hopefully you see the benefits. And then hopefully you see the expectations that we have at this church and uh, it's a wonderful thing to belong to a church. Many of you have belonged for a long time, and you love it, because it's people. It's people, and it's worshiping God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our team's going to come up and f- play our final song together. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for, for teaching us. For God, you didn't call and, and assemble your church so that we could mess it up. <laughs> you It was your plan to establish the church so that we could build one another up, so that we could faithfully love one another. You've called us to love one another. It's a commandment that you gave us, Jesus. And the way we do that is through your church, is through not giving up on each other and consistently meeting together coming together and praying for one another and bearing each other's burdens and having real, genuine fellowship. Father, I thank you that I get to see that all the time and I get to experience it as well. I thank you for life of purpose. I thank you for what you're doing here. And I pray, Lord, that it will continue to grow. In Jesus' name I pray. The church said...